Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of our favorite spacefaring franchise on the road to season two of its latest entry, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined, as usual, by members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Oh, hello. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Greetings. And Cicero Holmes. Uh, Cicero Holmes has far too much ego and not enough wisdom. (laughs) Good pull. Good pull. Well, in this episode, we are continuing our look at our panel's choices for all-time favorite Star Trek episodes. And this week's selection comes from our distinguished biology PhD candidate, Rachel. Her choice, the timeless episode of Star Trek The Next Generation from Season 6, Tapestry. A deep look into both the past and mind of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. But first, as always, before we get into our regular discussions, how have you guys been doing and engaging with Star Trek, if at all, since we last got together? Cicero, my friend, start us off. You know, so the funny thing is, uh, peek behind the curtains, I just got myself uh, my very first gaming laptop and actually really my first really true 21st century gaming PC. So what did I do with that gaming PC? but play Space Quest, um, <laughs> the original from Sierra Sierra Games. It has nothing to do with Star Trek except for that it's in space. Um, so I haven't, but I've thought about now, now that I have a VR-ready uh, uh, computer, getting myself an Oculus Rift and downloading Bridge Crew on the PC so I could enjoy it in its full VR glory. So that may be something that I'm doing very quickly, but... Uh, in terms of active Trek, what I have been doing is continuing my listen of the uh, latest book in the Discovery series, Fear Itself. Excellent. And uh, without getting into too many specifics, how is it striking you so far? Um, it is It is striking me. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a book, um, <laughs> and I am listening to it, and it is uh, very well narrated. And uh, it has what the it's featuring the person who is is very quickly becoming one of my favorite characters in all of the Star Trek universe, uh, Saru. So I am enjoying it from just from that perspective alone. Excellent. Rachel, you're actually reading the book. Oh, I'm done, Chris. You're done. You have finished the book finish the book so without specifics then kind of piggybacking off of that you got any loose thoughts you'd like to share i really liked it i was very engaged with it this weekend interesting so because i remember when you started it you weren't exactly super into it but yeah because i wanted to read another book more oh is that what it was yeah i felt i felt like i had to read this book which is just never a good plan for having a good reading experience so Mm. when i actually wanted to read this book i really enjoyed it and you went along for the ride yeah cool yeah well and we do plan on talking about fear itself on this show but it's uh it's a relatively fair distance off from now which helps so and apologies too if you do pick up any pops in the background we're recording this the night before independence day in the united states so people are already letting their fireworks loose even though they're illegal in Cook County, Illinois, but hey, what are you going to do about it? Uh, Zachy, 
any engagement since last time? What do you yeah, got? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, uh, uh, after our our last conversation and uh, sitting on the edge of forever, I was moved to watch uh, yesteryear, which was the pilot or one of the early episodes of the Star Trek animated series, which also yeah. utilizes the Guardian of Forever. And so now I'm kind of like in dribs and drabs, just kind of watching the the cartoon shows because I, I actually haven't seen uh, those in a while. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. Kinda- it, it's been a while since I've watched yesteryear in your estimation. How does it match up just as far as like a, a fall, especially considering its series as a follow up to city on the edge of forever. You know, I, th- I think it's, it's, I'm, I'm generally a fan of the, of the animated show uh, pretty much across the board, but I mean, obviously they had their, their hills and valleys. I think yesteryear is, I think most people would agree it's it's on the the higher end in terms of, in terms of the quality uh, mm-hmm. of those episodes. It's one of the better ones, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And well, and I cool. love I love by the way that very gradually the you know because Roddenberry is very arbitrarily was like oh we're just gonna like toss uh, the cartoon from canon, but ever since you know for the last twenty years they've gradually woven back in a lot of stuff that was introduced into the animated show into the live action canon. So so the show the cartoon has sort of been backed into canon. Yeah, and I, I'm, it only makes sense. I yeah. mean, it it's it sends a kind of mixed signal about the state of the canon if uh, something that actually did make it to broadcast is unincluded for no other reason than the fact that it differs a little bit in appearance from the other shows. Yeah, and, and not just that. I mean, you got DC Fontana and Samuel Peoples, yeah. and the entire cast just about was involved. Like, why wouldn't... You know what I mean? Like, the, there's nothing mm-hmm. in the, the animated show that's, you know, any worse than some of the, the worst episodes of the third season, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I remember reading uh, in George Takei's autobiography way back when uh, that they actually weren't inclined to include either him nor Walter Koenig, but it was in Michelle Nichols. Yes. And, and it was Leonard Nimoy who stepped up and, and got at least those two included. Koenig obviously wasn't a cast member, but he would end up writing one of the episodes. I think the infinite Vulcan is the yeah, one that he wrote. Like the worst one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but hey, I mean, Hey, at least he was kind of in the fold, you know, yeah. right. and, Shows Coincidence? The long... I think not. <laughs> <laughs> shows the, the long arm of Leonard Nimoy. But That's it's, right. You ever, you ever go to a convention with Walter Koenig, it's fun to hear him talk because he kind of does write his – like he has an entire script in his head planned out about why Khan remembers him oh, in funny. Space Seed even though Chekhov wasn't in Space Seed, which is pretty hilarious. How funny. <laughs> yeah, but he's a, he's a fun guy to hear talk. Rachel? Besides finishing Fear itself, uh, what have you been up to in Star Trek? You tell me, Chris, because I don't remember well, that we, I was doing anything else. We did something today. We watched Star. We watched TNG. We did watch TNG. Yeah. Yes, I guess I'll take it from here. <laughs> yeah. We watched season two of the Next Generation, uh, the episode Q Who, which I think the last time that you and I had sat down to watch it was in a movie theater. Uh, cause they had, that was one of the episodes, I think it was Q who and measure of a man that were paired together yeah, in a theatrical right. exhibition right, right, right around the yes. time that the Blu-rays were coming out, yes. which was pretty cool. Uh, both, both good, solid episodes of season two, but Q who, uh, c- coming off of a rewatch of tapestry, I think we wanted to get a little bit more Q, uh, just to get a, a feel for him before we 
sit down and talk about them tonight. But uh, oh, always good to, to check in with one of the absolute best series in Star Trek. But we do have a fair amount of news to talk about before we actually move on to our episode discussion. So as per usual, let's do that first. So first up, we have a couple of items uh, related to the reason that this show got together in the first place, which is Star Trek Discovery. Uh, James Duff, who's the co-creator of a TNT police drama called The Closer, which I believe starred Kira Sedgwick, uh, he has been brought into the fold of Star Trek Discovery as an executive producer to assist Alex Kurtzman in his new role as the series' sole showrunner. Kurtzman could most definitely use the help since he's been charged with expanding Trek's TV presence. And uh, it seems like Duff has a a demonstrated love of the Star Trek franchise. He appeared in the wonderful 2016 documentary For the Love of Spock that was directed by Adam Nimoy in tribute to his father. And he also has a credit in the franchise for writing an early season one episode of Enterprise called Fortunate Son – which brought the Nausicans into the 22nd century. Uh, I have never seen The Closer. I have seen Fortunate Son. I thought it was a, a fine episode and it's pretty emblematic of season one of Enterprise. But uh, I, I, I don't know. Does this strike you guys in any particular way? It doesn't seem like there's a, a significant amount of meat here, but uh, Kurtzman probably would be spreading himself too thin. Zachy, do you have any thoughts on how this could uh, affect season two? I would say I'm neutral on it. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing, but uh, you know, I mean, fortunate son is like, like you said, it's like a, it's like a, okay. First, that's a Travis episode, isn't it? So that's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my, my, my memory of that episode is just like when, when Travis is like yelling at the guy and he's like, the hell with you. And he says it in this really funny way. <laughs> and like to this day, 15, 16 years later, my, my, my buddy who I used to watch enterprise with, whenever I'm mad at him, I'd be like, listen, the hell with you. <laughs> so that's, that has nothing to do with anything, but I, I <laughs> if he's a fan, I'm sure it's fine. You know? Yeah. 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 Sure. With nothing, of course, but love and respect for Anthony Montgomery. He, he definitely uh, would grow into the role I, of Travis. I, I love on. Travis. Just to be clear. I, yeah. you guys oh, know sure. how much I love enterprise. I, this is good natured ribbing. I'd like, <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Comes from <laughs> comes from a place of love. But yeah. Uh Cicero, have you ever seen the closer? Uh no, I haven't, actually. Um Yeah, so, me neither. Yeah, so I don't know anybody that I think the closer had Glenn Close in it, not Kira Sedgwick. No, 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 no. The See, closer was Glenn Close. Um you're thinking of damages. That was uh mm, that was Glenn yeah. Close. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Kira Kira Sedgwick was uh the closer. She was the closer, and then that she left the show, and it became major crimes. Oh. Oh. So I didn't, I didn't watch Mary that McDonald. either. <laughs> yeah, I know, but clearly people do because these shows There's just like go whole, on forever. Yeah, they do. Well, I, and world I, out here of if if I had to guess, I think that's why he was hired because he's a veteran and he's overseen long running TV shows, right. and uh, Kurtzman's experience on TV probably doesn't really compare to Mr. Duff. So hopefully that uh, that will translate into a smooth sailing for the rest of Discovery season two. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, right, is, is you know, on, on the heels of uh, the, the last bit of news that we released the last time we, we got together, um, they need to bring in someone 
who has some experience Mm -hmm. making, you know, making broadcast television or at least broadcast style television. Um, And, you know, while they while they clearly want to break the mold or, or be in the tradition of of some of the the newer shows that are out there and about, they still want to make sure that they have someone out there that or someone within the fold that understands how and quotes television works. Yeah, totally. Right? It's so, a it's yeah, a stability so, yeah. update, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So you know, go out there, get yourself a veteran who understands things, and and you know the two of you can make beautiful music together. Wonderfully said. Uh, Next up, Discovery has announced that it will have a Hall H presentation at this year's Comic-Con International in San Diego, which will be taking place on July 20th. And uh, cast members included are uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, Shazad Latif, Mary Wiseman, Anthony Rapp, Wilson Cruz, Mary Chifo, Mm -hmm. and Anson Mount, along with executive producers Alex Kurtzman and Heather Caden. And it will be moderated by series guest star and comedian Tig Notaro, who's going to be playing Chief Engineer Reno from a different starship in season two. So it's not going to be Discovery. Nice. It's not going to be the Enterprise. It's a, they, they've named the ship. The name escapes me at the moment. But uh, it'll be interesting to see her because Rachel and I have taken in her stand-up in the past. And yeah, I think she she's spoke funny. recently about um, learning the particular techno babble lines on a show like Star Trek. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how um, how that stuff shakes out. As for the panel itself, last year it didn't seem like anything particularly revelatory came from the panel other than the cast uh, kind of introducing themselves to fandom. So this year... Hopefully we'll get some juicy information that usually comes out of Hall H. Maybe maybe uh, J- Javid Iqbal will show up finally. <laughs> right, yes. Still waiting on that. His belated uh, arrival. Yeah. Hey, uh, that would definitely be a Comic Con worthy surprise. I mean, People would talk. Look, I know, right. I, and I know that this is like a, a goofy fanboy wish, but I really hope that that. Someone like Zach Quinto is just waiting in the wings to be introduced as a cast member in season two. I, I, there are few things that I would want more. That's what I want for Christmas is, <laughs> is Zachary Quinto to appear uh, at Comic-Con to announce that he's reprising his role as Spock on that Discovery. That would be awesome. I mean, the, the, the presence of the Enterprise with Comic-Con coming up, you combine both of those things Hopefully that leads to some kind of revelation, but I'm not holding my breath. Either. Were you excited by that, Chris? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so if there, there, if there is one thing that I love about you, Chris, and the list is very, very oh. long of things that I love about you, um, it is your ability to hold everlasting hope. <laughs> you. You are the Superman that we all deserve. Um, the, the, so now, the Zachary, so where I thought you were going to go with this was not Zachary Quinto, but that Jason Isaac was going to come out <laughs> and, and talk about, you know, how Prime Lorca is somewhere in the mirror. That's universe. number two on the um, wish list. Number three is Shazad Latif with a scar saying that he's Javidic Ball. <laughs> 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 funny mustache yeah, like uh, the groucho glasses um, 
Yes. Um, but but if if Quinta were to come out at any point, it would be at at uh, at Comic Con. So. Like, that's the place. That's the place to do it. But what if what if like I am in complete agreement with you guys about if they're going to bring Spock, like Spock's got to be on the show now, mm-hmm. right? Um, if Spock is going to be on the show, it has to be Quinto. Um, and if it's not Quinto, I think everyone will be disappointed. You know, unfortunately, to you know whoever the the actor's dismay it it, it is if it's not Quinto. But what what an effing shock, holy hell moment it would be if uh, Michael Burnham goes to Spock's quarters and quit, you know, and and Spock says enter and it's Quinto on the screen. And that's the first time you see uh, it. that would be a hell of like, a moment. I, I can't yeah. dispute that. Not at all. So I'd have to film that. So <laughs> right, right, right. Like you know, I mean, I would hear him. We we live about thirty miles apart. I would hear him scream. From here. Well, so, we do know uh, that Spock will be appearing in season two in flashback form as a child. That I'm right. reasonably sure has actually been confirmed. So Spock's going to yes. be on the show, but you just you, you're going to go on the Enterprise. You're going to show us Captain Pike. We still haven't heard anything. You know, that actually makes more sense now that I think about it. We haven't heard anything in regards to other characters from the cage uh, being cast for Discovery Season 2. If they announce someone right. as number one, uh, if they announce someone as Yeoman Colt, uh, you know, the names that don't really mean much to people outside of Star Trek or Star Trek fandom. Still might be Hall right. H worthy though. Spock's gonna be like right. hurt or unconscious or missing or something. <laughs> right. gonna, like it, like those episodes. He's gonna be Pike alone on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> like, like those season one episodes of Supergirl where you just see Superman's boots uh, in right. the shot. Yes, and, exactly. and everyone else exactly. is looking at his face. Yeah. Oh God. He's he's standing over you, but his su- his face is is glared out by the sun. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Well. I, I so I think that the bigger news of of this of this piece of news is that Wilson Cruz has been included in in the on the yeah panel. I mean they they haven't um, been coy about him still being around but it's hard I don't know Cicero I can't really imagine a way in which they bring him back but I can't say that I'm not happy that he's there but how does that strike you? He is he is going to play the role of ghost of mycelial networks <laughs> past. Um, you know, They're like already that. setting up the Christmas episode. That's <laughs> right. right. He visits you know. Prime Lorca. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he's he's just bringing back relaying stories from Prime Lorca. Wonderful. Um. So right, but like, so I mean, I guess well, cl- you know, clearly Stamets Stamets's relationship. Um, with with uh, Cruz's character was was an important one to him, mm-hmm. and I I think that we've you know we've already seen him play this kind of id slash ego version of himself in in Stamets's mind. Yes, and maybe we'll start to see more of that. Maybe we'll see more of that. And I think I think what happened was the people gravitated towards that relationship and and uh 
towards those two actors in a way that people I, I think that the showrunners weren't necessarily expecting mm-hmm. or maybe they were hoping sure and when when it when it grew you know when it came to fruition and people really really took to those guys they realized that they had to bring Cruz back in a real way and to be honest now that I think about it I don't know if there's really been uh, a a Puerto Rican or or a Caribbean Latino on Star Trek that you know had a starring role on on Star Trek. You know, obviously, uh, we we you know on Voyager. Um, um, oh crap! Why can't I think of names? I can't think of names now. Uh, Chicote mm-hmm. is, is is you know he's of you know Latin descent. Uh, of, or Hispanic descent, but but Wilson Cruz is the first out and out Caribbean Latino that's that's had a you know a recurring role on on a that's true. Series. But I think uh, another part of it too is just the fact that that relationship and that romance actually had a degree of reality to it that not a lot of other yes. TV romances have, you know, I mean, yes. they, they yes. didn't make it overly cheesy. You saw them in right. something as, you know, mundane as just brushing the, it, granted they the scene where they're brushing their teeth turned into something kind of extreme from a sci-fi perspective pretty quickly. But, right. uh, Zachy, if memory serves, you were about as disappointed as I was when Culber's neck was broken by Voke. Yeah. Uh, how do you see this playing out? If you had to put your TV extrapolation prediction hat on, uh, and how do you feel about it? Uh, you know, I, my, if I were to guess, they're going to find some mycelial network way of making him a presence in the show. If I, I can't imagine he's going to be flesh and blood, at least right away, maybe, maybe down the line, you know? Mm-hmm, sure, but, but I also I don't I don't think they're they're gonna just casually fridge the first open gay couple on Star Trek and just leave it yeah. that way. You know, I I can't imagine that that's I can't imagine that that uh, you know what's his name. See now I'm having trouble with names. That you know the guy that right, the, right. that guy the you know <laughs> damn it the actor what's his name? Oh 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 Anthony, Anthony yeah Rapp. Anthony, Rapp. Anthony. I don't Rapp. think he would have ever he would have not been okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Well, either way, uh, we'll be very interested to see what comes out of Hall H uh, on the 20th. Another quick note, if you are a Star Trek fan and you are going to attend the San Diego Comic-Con, the Michael J. Wolf Fine Arts Gallery, which is at 363 Fifth Avenue in San Diego, will be housing a Star Trek Discovery Mirror Universe experience that has... Uh, props and costumes from the Mirror Universe episodes of Discovery, including uh, Emperor Giorgio's throne uh, and also exclusive uh, merchandise that you can buy now, there. Now, are the workers from the Mirror Universe, do they just like slap you? And- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> do they shove ganglia down your throat? Yeah, yeah who knows? You get the real Mirror Universe experience. Uh, so... Uh- yeah, so Zachy, are you going to line Dude, up right after you, we you like you like jumped in right before I was going to be like, hey, sounds like the place I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that uh, that that reminds me of something. <laughs> Agony. <laughs> Agony. <laughs>
I'm I'm sorry. I had to find an excuse. Let's, and you know, let's let's hope that's an exhibit. Yeah, really. Right. <laughs> Keen eared listeners will notice too that the Zacky's Agony Booth music made it into the video game episode that uh, that I put yes. together. So hopefully, Which was hopefully, awesome, fun with that. Uh, something else uh, worth mentioning: um, Star Trek Discovery received some notable honors at this year's Saturn Awards. It won the uh, the show at large won the award for best new media television series, which is basically a streaming series. And Sonequa Martin Green walked away with best actress for her role as Michael Burnham on the show, beating out Gillian Anderson for the X Files. Caterina, uh, I'm not even sure. Catriona Boff for Outlander. Melissa Benoist for Supergirl. Lena Headey for Game of Thrones. Adrian Palicki for The Orville, Sarah Paulson for American Horror Story, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead for Fargo. That's some pretty stiff competition, and Sonequa Martin-Green and Michael Burnham walked away with it. Uh, any thoughts about Discovery taking these honors home against that stiff competition, Rachel? You're the you're a, a, a TV watcher. Some stiff and some not-so-stiff competition, I would say. <laughs> um... That's well deserved. I think she's the best of the best of the bunch. Even more than Cersei Lannister. This season, yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Maybe, you know, not earlier seasons. And your Maybe beloved Scully. Well, all right. The most recent X Files <laughs> season sucked, Chris. Scully's not even a fan of the last season of X Files. <laughs> she, she, yeah. she didn't show up for the awards ceremony and be disappointed. She knew what was going down. Yeah. Hey. Those checks cleared, so that's all she. Yeah, about. Well, she's got to support her her kids. So the only shows of this that I've watched are Discovery, obviously, Supergirl, Game of Thrones, and uh, the Orville. And I think that I'm just biased because I absolutely believe that Sonequa Martin Green. I mean, really, pound for pound, she probably did give the the most emotionally compelling performance. I'm trying to put my biases aside. I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of it, but uh, Zachy, what do you think about this? Sonequa Martin-Green walking away with Best Actress as Michael Burnham. Well, I hope, uh, if nothing else, that it drives uh, some more eyeballs towards Discovery. I mean, Discovery is doing fine, but I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I hope that the faction of of uh, Trek uh, uh, faithful who who've been like, oh, like they found every reason under the the sun to not watch the show. Uh, I hope they sort of start recognizing that hey, this is something special that's at least worth a look, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Cicero. Yeah, I, I mean, of the of the group that's there, uh, similar to you, Chris, those are the shows that I that I currently watch. I've heard really great things about Fargo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I dip in and out of uh, American Horror Story, but uh, you know, Lena Headey's been around for a while, so uh, you know, you know the kind of performance that she's she's going to give. Yeah. Uh, Melissa ben- Benoist, uh, I always say her name wrong, um, is uh, also someone that's been around for a yeah, while. She's and, oddly and, enough a veteran in this group, right? Um, and and while I love her performance as Cara Danvers and as Supergirl, I think they don't give her a lot to work sure. with um, in in very many episodes, and. You know, uh, Sinequa, Sinequa was given a lot yeah. to work with. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, and she kicked ass the entire way. 
she you know she held her own the entire way and and i think that that was it was well deserved uh well earned and well deserved and 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 you know good for them for giving her the type of recognition that she deserves and and to give discovery the type of recognition that it deserves. well and this is something that and agreed on all points this is something that i often get frustrated about when people dismiss star trek and specifically when they dismiss like in the past I've associated this more with Leonard Nimoy, but now I think it's equally applied to Sonequa Martin-Green. In fact, it might be even more difficult for her because she goes from you know, being raised in the Vulcan lifestyle to readjusting to her humanity. So there's an element of emotional stunting that happens that she kind of imposes on herself, but then she's faced with these impossible situations like the thing that still comes to my mind is her killing Danby Connor in the turbo lift in the the first mirror universe episode where she's on the Shenzhou and everything that she has to do that cannot be easy for an actor to pull off so uh yeah as far as I'm concerned the the right person won here uh but let's move along to um, the de- allegedly developing projects on the big and small screen. So first up, Zachary Quinto, the aforementioned incumbent Spock in the films of the Kelvin timeline, recently shared his perspective on the development of two Trek film projects. On an MTV podcast called Happy, Sad, Confused, he shared that in addition to the fourth Kelvin timeline film developing with director S.J. Clarkson attached, he believes that the Tarantino project, whatever it can, it's going to end up being, will also include the 2009 cast. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what's fueling that perception. He was a little cagey on the reasoning that he gave. He also added that he had recently had dinner with S.J. Clarkson, and uh, he relayed a lot of confidence in her ability since they have a shared working experience on NBC's Heroes from way back when. Uh, and he also talked about his philosophy about Spock and basically boiled it down to still loving the character. Um, but briefly, what do you guys think? Should the Tarantino movie be this sort of franchise-wide tour de force that mashes together multiple casts, including the Kelvin characters? Uh, or do you think it should be something simpler? Zachy, what's your conception of where this could go considering these sort of disparate details that we seem to know about it right now? You know, I I think that it should be rooted in the current cast, the the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, excuse me, the the Kelvin cast. I don't. Uh, and and my sense is not that Tarantino wants to come in and just be like, hey, like let's just clear the deck and start over. I think my sense, and I could be totally off base here, is he wants to work with wherever they're at right now. Mm-hmm. And and you know, following up on what you were saying, I don't think Quinto would be saying as such unless he had a, a sense of wh- what Tarantino's idea was. I don't think he'd just be like, "Oh yeah, and we're going to be involved in it." I don't think he, unless uh, unless he had a sense like, "Yeah, that's where they're headed," you know. Yeah, I mean, it seems like out of all the the current cast members, he would be the one most likely to actually know something. Correct. Even more than Chris Pine. Um, but, you know, yeah, I'm 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 with you. Yeah. Rachel, what do you think? Um, I think that the Tarantino project is a bunch of bullshit. That's never going to happen. And he's being cagey because he has zero information. And he's just like, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Cicero, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think it should have uh, the Kelvin cast. I think it should have the original cast. 
I think it should have the Orville's cast. I think the snozberries <laughs> should taste like snozberries. Um, hashtag Rachel is right. It is, you know, it is uh, bovine scatology. Um, You're mashing and, everything uh, together here. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, because, because, like, I, I man, I, I just, I will be shocked if this project ever sees the light of day, mm-hmm. um, there's just so much going on. There's so many things that are happening right now. If, uh, if, you know, Tarantino is stuck doing this the same way. And I'm going to pull this out of, of left field, the same way that Gene Hackman was building his house in Unforgiven. <laughs> like it's just a project <laughs> that will never be completed. And like on his deathbed, I feel like Tarantino will be sitting there saying, but I'm writing the next Star Trek. I, I don't deserve uh, this. I'm writing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> right. um, yeah. It's just, you know, You'll be able to knock me over with a feather if this if this film actually winds up, uh, you know, making it to production. Yeah, so. I, I, w- I would honestly be surprised, too. It just seems like there's no real logic to anything. Not that there necessarily has to be for the public at this stage, but uh, it just seems unlikely. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. A uh, couple of other minor things that I wanted to get to. Uh, there's a rumor that has cropped up recently that I caught wind of via Trek movie uh, that they caught wind of through a report at the UK's Mirror, which cited an unnamed Los Angeles source that said, quote, Patrick is looking pretty good to get back on board the Enterprise. There are some aspects of the deal to be finalized, but there is a verbal commitment from all parties. So hopefully... That means that we are one step closer to the return of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, Not really a whole lot to go off of, but I'm just going to try and add my good juju to the mix and hope that uh, that maybe that's something that they're saving for Comic-Con too, because really that that would be something that I think would bring the house down in Hall H. As as someone who has been in Hall H a couple of times, uh, I'm I'm reasonably confident that uh, an announcement concerning Captain Picard would would it, it might crack the roof at Hall H, if I were to guess. Way, way to go out on a limb, there, Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a real risky one. Yeah, give me give me forty one odds on that. Um, it's just gonna be silent. <laughs> that's what they would do, in, ladies and gentlemen. Sir Patrick Stewart. That, that's what that's what they would do in Japan because it's the utmost sign of respect towards something they would be totally silent it's not how we do things so it would be it would be very loud uh one uh other final thing is that uh you know as we mentioned uh in the new intro to last week's episode obviously harlan ellison passed away this is the first time we all have a chance uh to really say something about it obviously he was a mind and uh a presence in science fiction at large that will not be duplicated again, at least not for a very, very long time. Do you guys have any words about Mr. Harlan Ellison? I think that his work will live on for a long time to come. And uh, obviously the fact that he was a uh, a cantankerous personality, let's just say, that's yeah. part of the legend as well. But uh, above and beyond that, uh, he was also extremely kind. You know, I... Uh, 
uh, I saw a, a post that Howard Weinstein uh, put on Facebook uh, of uh, essentially he back in like the early part of the 80s, he Howard Weinstein sent Harlan Ellison a copy of his first Star Trek novel. Um, and he kind of wrote a letter saying, you know, I know you have a cagey history with Star Trek, but I just wanted you to, you know, you were an inspiration. I wrote this book. And Harlan Ellison sent back a uh, ridiculously kind letter, you know, really just like I, this book will have a place of honor on my shelf and I'm honored to be thought of as an inspiration for you. What You know, and, and you look at something like that and you're like, you know, uh, it, it. I felt. Uh, privilege to be able to uh, experience that communication sort of secondhand, you know, mm-hmm. and and that says something I think about his character, notwithstanding all the 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 sort of ornery reputation that he had cultivated. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that it's reasonably fair to say that. Yeah, I mean, he made some enemies, but I think most of his enemies were suits, not fellow sci-fi writers. Yeah, and right. I, I think that uh, that says a lot about him. So very well said. Cicero, any thoughts on Mr. Ellison? Uh, Ellison was uh, cantankerous. He was ornery. Um, He was opinionated. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's how you like your sci-fi writers, right? Those are the guys that go out and they build the best stories because they don't agree with people. They don't, uh, you know, they don't play by 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 everyone else's rules um that uh, gives them the ability to make uh imaginative stories imaginative and engaging stories that seem to come out of left field and and you know and ellison had done that for for you know almost his entire 80 years on on uh, 80 plus years on earth uh so uh you know uh we are as as human beings uh especially those of us who enjoy sci-fi television and enjoy science fiction writing are um have have been greatly enhanced by him being on this planet and uh you know we salute him excellent all right well now that we've gotten the news section out of the way it's time to talk about the reason that we are all here tonight uh, we are going to discuss Rachel's choice for all-time favorite Star Trek episode uh, from season six of Star Trek: The Next Generation, Tapestry. So, one of the things that's going to define this series of episodes is that each panelist will be taking the lead in their respective discussion since they chose the topic, and it'll also allow us to engage with the episode's material in the way that they find most important or relevant. So having said that, Rachel, take us away. Finally. Sorry. Sorry. I've been waiting for like a year for you to give me control of this podcast, Chris. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Okay. Um, so I chose Tapestry, yes, um, and I chose it because I think it is a great episode of TNG. Um, I think that it has a really interesting life lesson for us all about uh, how your mistakes make you who you are today, and how great people aren't just you know born great; like they go through some crazy phases. So everybody that you know who is your role model and who 
you look up to wasn't always like that. They had a past um, that made them who they are. Um, and it has Q in it, which is, I mean, John Delancey makes every episode better. Um, and it's it's just a good character episode. Uh, so to start out, I just wondering what your, you know, your overall impression of the episode is, is, are, yeah. <laughs> what your overall impressions of the episode are. Um, so let's start with Cicero. So, you know, what was great is, uh, first off, thanks, uh, Rachel for picking this episode is that I have zero memory of watching this episode. So it was, it was literally like watching it for the very first time. Nice. And, um, so, so th- I mean, that was great. And, and, um, the fact that I'm sure I've watched it before, uh, but you know, again, it, it had been at, at conservatively a half a lifetime ago, almost literally, if 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 and when I had seen it. So I was watching it with virgin eyes, essentially, uh, and it did exactly what you were saying: is show us that the the people that we look to as being great don't always start that way. They start out as you know it. During the course of their lives, as they're they're building the tapestry that is their life, uh, they're they're flawed flawed individuals that make mistakes and you know and do things. Uh, they are fallible. It's it's you know it's kind of it's kind of like looking at your parents, right? You think yeah. of your folks as always being like you know them only as parents, and you only know them as adults. But, uh, you know, as you grow older and as you mature and you start to learn more about them as individuals, you start to to understand what got them to being to, you know, to becoming the people that they are as opposed to just mom and dad. And, uh, you know, and and in a lot of ways, Captain Picard is our Star Trek dad. And we got to see Captain Picard before he had kids. Yeah, definitely. Picard is our He's our TV dad. So that's that's what we uh yeah, we're learning about his past. How about you, Zachy? What did you think? You know, I I remember watching this episode first run when it aired and and I loved the fact that back in, you know, 93 pre-internet and all that, like you could truly be surprised by uh everything that unfolds. So I remember in at the end of the teaser when uh, q shows up you know it's like oh it's q you know and just the generally the pleasant like I, when i revisited for this i i remember that i remember being like i remember that feeling of surprise at you know how old was i i was 13 i think and um what i've come to appreciate in the in the 25 years since this aired first of all the fact that it's now 25 years old like <laughs> holy crap you know <laughs> uh, and and i I now, now that I have a few years under my belt, I can appreciate um, the, the the message of the episode, right? Which is this idea of living with regret, right? And regret is is something that makes us who we are if we if we hone it the right way, right? And the the, the episode title is so illustrative, and they they allude to it in the in the thing. You know, what thread will you pull? What would you change? in your life that would 
make you into something different than you are right now, right? If if you can if 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 you look at somebody like Captain Picard, like what uh, what hasn't he achieved in in his life, right? And that that horrible thing that happened with the Nausicans, that's part of that. And you know, for me at a very young age, I I internalized that lesson and and I've tried to carry that with me uh, even now, you know, where regret is not something you should carry with you. It is something you should learn from and make you a better person, you know? And so that's to me what makes Captain Picard a different person than, than Captain Kirk. Like this is, this is why Captain Picard is the way he is. People call him stodgy and whatever, you know, like all the, all the, Mm -hmm. the cliche, but like, but look at the wisdom that he's learned. He did the, the Captain Kirk thing. Yeah. And that's what made him a better person. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's the maturity of being in your forties as opposed to your thirties, you know? Yeah, for sure. I also, I like, um, the idea that you look back on your past and you're thinking like, Oh, I would do this so so much differently. But like, if you got put in your younger self's (laughs) body, like you would totally weird out all of your friends and just like, (laughs) like you'd be like this, like weird old person. You'd be like, Donald Trump is president. Seriously. I'm not kidding. (laughs) You gotta stop it. I suppose Jane Wyman is the first lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, so, Chris, what are your impressions of the episode? Uh, well, everybody has illustrated it beautifully. I think one of the conceptual things that strikes me about it largely is that, first of all, tapestry is one of those really brilliant uses of retroactive continuity that completely manages to change your perspective on every other time that you saw this character. And what I mean by that is that, yes, as Zaki alluded to, Captain Picard is obviously and often uh, accused of being, you know, stiff and perhaps too ambassadorial as if that's a thing and, uh, and very, very, very cautious. But when you insert the events of Tapestry and what we learn about his early life, it automatically creates, even going back to season one, a rather fascinating arc of development that he went on. Uh, He basically developed from Kirk into Picard. Like he had a lot more in common with James T. Kirk at the end of his life by being that kind of reckless person who's willing to start a fight with an alien twice his size and becoming the guy who uh, Starfleet trusts with first contact missions and taking the cautious approach and being counted on not to rush into something bullheaded. Uh, And it just also turns him retroactively into way more of a badass than we've ever seen before. And uh, people who don't think Captain Picard has that kind of veracity running through his veins have probably never seen Tapestry. So out of everything that I love about this episode, just as far as its structure, the story that it tells... I think that's what I take away from it the most is the service that it gives to the journey of Jean-Luc Picard's life from young man to captain of the Enterprise. Do you think that has something to do with Gene Roddenberry and the fact that he kind of like, I I mean, I remember hearing that like Jean-Luc Picard was like how Gene Roddenberry conceived of himself as an older man, Mm. whereas like Captain Kirk and Riker are like, you know, like adult Gene Roddenberry and Wesley Crusher is 
child gene, child gene Roddenberry, <laughs> which is a little bit I'm thinking a lot of himself. But uh, honestly, that's true though, because because Roddenberry's middle name was Wesley. Yeah. Honestly, I don't I know. I remember it. hearing somebody say that they thought that, but I don't know. I I can't I source could, it. No, I could I could I could see that. Uh, he. It, it's just it, it speaks to the very different kind of philosophy that exists for TNG pre Roddenberry and post Roddenberry, if that makes hmm. sense. Uh, because I don't know if this episode could have existed under Roddenberry's guidance. Uh, I think you're right. So, in, in that respect. Roddenberry would have been like, we need more women kissing each other in the background. <laughs> but I'm definitely Captain Picard. <laughs> I'm so wise. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We kind of got to episode or to my second well, can, question. Can, 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 I, I? can I add uh, to, to what Chris was saying? Yeah, go for it. I mean, I, I think that uh, what we what we got in Captain Picard uh, is, I think, echoing what you're saying. You know, he, he's a representation of what Star Trek had become, uh, certainly by that stage in the franchise's history and also in Roddenberry's life. Star Trek had become a lifestyle, right? And so, and, and Captain Picard was Roddenberry's ideal of the perfected man. And, you know, he, he's not somebody who has, uh, you know, the, the, you know, uh, Ira Bear had the famous story about, about the, the, uh, I want to say it was the captain's holiday episode where, uh, you know, he wanted Picard to have doubt and regret and all this stuff. And Ron Bear was like, no way he doesn't have doubts and regrets. Uh, but what I find so fascinating is as, as much as I love the character, his most interesting moments are when that veneer breaks, you know, in family, when he just starts crying. It's poignant and beautiful and shocking because we just don't expect that from him. And I think in that same way, tapestry works because it is this, it is, it's the perfected man who's saying, uh, I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm carrying this, this, uh, this sore, you know, this wound, metaphorical wound and literal uh, over all the things I wish I had done. And, and, you know, I think for us as viewers, since none of us consider ourselves perfected, that's almost, it's, it's reassuring to know that, look, we can get there. Right. Being Captain Picard is, is, is something, you know, we can achieve, but the same way he has to deal with this stuff. Well, we have to deal with that stuff too. It's all about how we choose to process it. Yeah. So Cicero, this was, you know, effectively your first time viewing this episode that right. in, that you can remember uh did it change your perception of picard uh, as his of his character it 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 definitely as as zaki and chris kind of alluded to it deepened my appreciation for him um so yeah so i guess in a way it definitely did uh it didn't Man, so it didn't change my perception of him. It did. It did deepen my appreciation for him. Um, but like, as I'm watching young, brash, Kirkian, if that's a, a word, uh, Picard uh, work his way around the Nausicans and then you know get literally stabbed stabbed in the back by the fact that his friends are inept at fighting. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, cover, it, cover the it, flank, man. Come on, right, right. <laughs> Got to take those Kirk Fu extension courses, <laughs> right, right. Yes. So, like, it it made me as I'm watching it and and I'm seeing how just cavalier he was about everything. I I said, of course, that's who he is, right? Of course, that's who he was. 
Um, as I'm as I'm sitting there and enjoying the journey, as I'm eating popcorn, watching all of this, because he he can't like you can't revert to the mean if 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 you know the Picard Picard of uh, if Captain Picard is the mean you can't revert to that you can't be as uh, professorial you can't be as introspective as Picard is without having the wisdom and experience of of making those mistakes of having those flaws of 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 being that that flawed individual um because you know it it just it comes from nothing it would it would be empty if he if he wasn't that person beforehand and you would everyone would be able to see through that and no one would trust you know his his trustworthiness as a commander as a leader of people um and a leader of civilization basically uh would 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 basically be paper thin um had it not been for the fact that he had gone through these things and been able to advise people in different ways yeah good point um so at the end of the episode i thought it was really interesting how picard was talking to Riker and saying that he wasn't sure if uh his experience was a dream or a hallucination or if q was really uh you know, with him in the afterlife, um, playing tricks on him. Uh, so I'm curious what you guys think about, uh, whether, do you think it was a hallucination? Do you think it was Q? It kind of seems like something Q would do. Um, and in general, uh, what do you think about episodes that occur in the mind of one character or that are dream episodes that, you know, don't really affect the world? Are they good, bad? What do you think? Chris? Um, in terms of, uh, whether or not it actually happened, you know, the, the stance of spirituality in Star Trek there, it's, it's kind of all over the place. You know, there's, there's no real definitive statement and probably nor should there be on whether or not there is an afterlife or not. It could take forms. It can be some kind of alien intervention but there's a lot of Star Trek that kind of runs with the idea that um, the way that religions characterize the afterlife is more rooted in mythology than actuality. So is Q the the actual being that's sort of there on the cusp of death into what is next? He can be if he wants to be. Uh, he's one of the only beings in the Star Trek universe who is powerful enough and who can control enough just by sheer force of will, given what he is, that he could probably choose for any person in the universe to have an afterlife, even if most people don't. <laughs> so it makes sense to me that because of Q's affinity for Captain Picard, uh, the closest thing he has to a friend in the entire universe that he would give Picard an afterlife because he thinks he deserves it. As much crap as Q gives Jean-Luc Picard, in his own way, he kind of loves him. So uh, as for do I think it actually happened? Yeah, I think Q did it because of exactly that fact. He loves Picard. Yeah. In the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard, Q 
really loved him at yeah. the end. He they they have some good times after the Enterprise. Oh, that's good. It's very. Nice. It's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think, Cicero? Um. So my personal feelings on it is: Does it matter if 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 Picard believes it happened, then it happened, right? And and you know, it's not. It's not like we're talking about a psychological break for for a human, you know, for for a person, for a sentient being, where uh, his his break from reality negatively impacts his ability to do things, you know. Once that break is over, uh, in fact, I think his his break from reality, whether it were whether it was real or imagined is has probably improved his ability and has given him uh, a level of uh, uh, you know perspective on on his future endeavors as a result of of everything that that transpired so whether it, it was whether it was Q or whether he crossed over and his manifestation of the afterlife was Q uh, someone who was who, you know, in his mind and, and, and you know, and in reality, in, in quotes, was is omnipotent. So so, you know, who better to lead him into the into the afterlife, into life after death than than this manifestation in, in the form of Q? Um, and, you know, and again, those things like it really doesn't matter because. It could have happened in the blink of an eye, like you know, like his existence in in the afterlife could have been in between them, you know, charging the 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 uh, the uh, you know, oh crap, Zachy, you've given it to me again, the defibrillator, um, <laughs> you know, you know, like it could have been, you know, it could have been in between them getting ready to defib him, and and just those moments like maybe he lost consciousness for a fraction of a second but in those fractions of a seconds uh second were were the 40 minutes that we witnessed uh and and that's all that matters yeah it's interesting that a couple of the best episodes of star trek tng happen entirely within jean-luc picard's mind i was about yeah. to say yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know what that says about everyone else on the that show. he's just so damn fascinating to watch yeah yeah exactly that's that's yeah. really what but no says. i mean but but look at inner light there's another example right it's a picard yeah. who's broken down who's vulnerable who's you know i mean i think that those are the most fascinating picard episodes is when that veneer crumbles mm-hmm. yeah and inner light is another example of that yeah for sure absolutely so zachy what do you what do you think about dream episodes in general or it's you know it's funny because uh, I, Star Trek is replete with dream episodes and and you know the the, the episode that I've picked uh, uh, for this series that we're doing certainly uh, broadly speaking fits into that idea and you know the episode Twilight from uh, the third season of Enterprise another one like that and it's you know even if it's undone 
uh, or or rendered moot by the end, does that make the experience that we had any less profound? And I would say no. You know, it's it's sort of uh, I'm I'm reminded of a quote by Alan Moore at at uh, that he wrote for you know he wrote the the what what was what was uh, pitched as the last Superman story and uh, Twilight of the superheroes. No, um, uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Oh, so oh, the yes, actual yeah, published, yeah. yes, of course. Right, and and it, at the very beginning, it says this is an imaginary story, aren't they all? Yeah, and right. and I always love that because because it's more essentially saying, look, man, this like you can you can try to make it seem more real in your head and file it as quote unquote canon or whatever, but the experience you get out of it is what makes it real. And I think I think this episode. It, it, I like that they leave it vague uh, as far as whether Q was actually there or just in his imagination. Like Chris, I'd like to believe that Q was there, that he would care enough uh, to to be Clarence, you know, to, to Picard, <laughs> to, uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, you know. But uh, ultimately, it, it it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. I think. But yeah. but it it doesn't make the episode any less poignant, you know. It'd what be if, funny if the next time we see Q, Picard's like, hey, remember that time you helped me? And Q's like, uh, pardon me? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to stop visiting you now. It's getting yeah. <laughs> You're dreaming about me. This is getting weird. You know? right. <laughs> like, what if Q is entirely imagined by Picard? Oh, sure. He's like Harvey right. the Puka. You know? Yeah, and everyone just sort of plays along. And <laughs> Riker's like, yeah, he offered me his powers, too. Like... Uh, yeah Um, so one of the reasons that I like this episode is I feel like it is a valuable little parable about the nature of life and regret and you know what what makes a a person a person Um, and I'm curious if there are any you know Trek episodes that have taught you guys valuable life lessons Uh, how about you Cicero I don't know how long you got I mean, so it's, I mean, I think, so we, I mean, we started, we started this entire endeavor, um, talking about, you know, when we started debrief, uh, and you guys, and Chris asked me, you know, what is it about Star Trek that makes me love the, love the series and love the universe so much. And it's, it's. Um, you know, much like Chris Clow himself, as I said in this episode, is the the unbounding, uh, almost childlike belief in hope hmm. um, oh. that that we can that we can uh, we can if we can imagine ourselves to be better, and we can write stories about us being better as a species, then then we can actually be and achieve that and i think you know that was that was part of roddenberry's dream um you know in back in the 60s and you know to be avant-garde in in that way but we got to see a lot of that realized by the time we got to tng because we were starting to get a group of people that had grown up and were inspired by by that television show and and use that inspiration to affect positive change within the world we actually lived in so by the time TNG came about there were 
there were products that we were using and there were inventions that were made that were, you know, that were directly linked to to Star Trek. By the time, uh, you know, by the time Voyager was on the air, we had flip phones yeah. that were communicators. <laughs> you know, I mean, those were those were the Star Trek communicators. And there's, you know, and and, and of course, there's nobody, you know, there's nobody that could sit back and tell me that the first person that decided that they were going to make a phone that, you know, folded like a clamshell wasn't inspired by the Star Trek communicator. Oh, they definitely I mean, were. That's, yeah. that's right, documented. Right, right. Yeah. So like, um, so, I mean, just just from, you know, I, I don't even want to get into the specifics of any, you know, any particular episode, but just the show itself has shown us what we are what we are capable of as a species if we if we trust and love each other and and uh you know a, applaud and and uh put forth science as as something uh, you know worthy of being praised uh and and you know make making the world smaller and and, and you know and loving each other as as i ramble on yeah. <laughs> it's heartwarming. Aww. Very good. Um, Zachy, what are what are some episodes that have taught you valuable life lessons? Well, Tapestry is definitely uh, among those. It's yeah. it, it's uh, I mean, gosh, there's so many, you know, especially uh, having gone through uh, next generation with my kids, you know, who watches the watchers uh, mm. is a great example. of. Mm. You know, I mean, it's it's just what i what i've appreciated as i've gotten older uh, and again as as uh, now being in a position where i'm sharing this with my children it's look at these people we can aspire to be look at the goodness that they espouse you know in in a non-judgmental way you know the enterprise is not uh you know racing through the galaxy uh in enforcing gunboat diplomacy it's saying let us learn about each other. You know, we want to learn about you. Maybe you can learn something from us. And, and what a wonderful place it would be if we could, if we could do that, you know, and I, and I look at videos today of, of four-year-old kids who are being told to defend themselves in court. And I just feel like, man, will we ever reach the Star Trek future? What, what, like, what uh, river of sh- do we have to crawl through, uh, you know, the Trump uh, presidency? Yeah, basically, you know, I mean, it's funny because in, in encounter at Farpoint, you know, there's a thing right. where they're taken right. to that court and it's like, we've, we moved past this nonsense or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, are we, is that us right now? You know, like, there, there's an episode of deep space nine where they go back and there's like ghettos of poor people that they, they go right. into yeah the Gabriel oh, yeah. Bell episodes and oh, like so I remember good. when I first watched them and I was like oh man like that's not gonna happen and then I watched it again recently and I was like yeah, that, yeah okay <laughs> yeah. Star yeah. Trek ten years from now yeah, 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 okay. Star Trek has always painted a, a rather bleak vision of the 21st century and it's kind of eerie to me anyway to see how bleak things have kind of ended up I mean we're we're not quite to the Bell riots yet. But, uh, but doesn't it feel like we're one bad week away from that? You know, we're one bad week away from uh, 
most of the major cities being destroyed with very few governments left and 600 million people dead after World War III with radioactive isotopes in the atmosphere. Uh, On that note, catch you next time, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Go boldly, my friends. <laughs> people are gonna. People are listening in their car. Just gonna pull over and cry. <laughs> Look, they already know. Okay. Like, <laughs> people new information here. Yeah, they uh, live here. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, what what are some Trek episodes that have taught you valuable life lessons? Uh, I mean, if I had to to nail some specifics down, I think one of the first ones that immediately jumps to mind is "Let That Be Your Last Battlefield" from the original series. Because it does such a, an incredible job of characterizing uh, racism as ridiculous and stupid. You know, I mean... Uh, Is that the one with the guys with the two? Yeah, yeah, okay. Beale with Frank Gorshin. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yes. You know, he is white on the right side. Right. Uh, and, you know, Spock and Kirk just look at each other like, Is this guy for real? Right. That's such an arbitrary thing to to make such a big deal about, but it ended up destroying that world. And uh, I, that really resonated with me as a young person, just because, you know, you need to put those kinds of things in the appropriate context and realize that, yeah, that's kind of a stupid thing to get in such, such heated states about. And uh, especially considering what it can lead to and how it can lead you to dehumanizing the other. And uh, which just can lead to atrocity. It's a long road to atrocity when you're able to say that that person is less than me. So hmm. I think Let That Be Your Last Battlefield is one that immediately jumps to mind. Um, yeah, I like that one because as a biologist, I, I have to point out that the differences that we hang so much value on are as stupid as like having the reverse colors because humans as a species have ridiculously low genetic diversity so we're all very similar to each other Mm -hmm. and an alien looking at us would be like what are you even talking about you all look the same because wrong with you (laughs) right yeah Yeah. that's that's what they would be saying um no totally agreed um something else that comes to mind and you know i i feel like sometimes i don't get a chance or I don't give myself a chance rather to praise it enough, largely because it's often lauded as one of the greatest works that the franchise has ever produced, but Star Trek two. Uh, and I think the, one of the primary lessons that I take from Star Trek two is that age need not be uh, a debilitating obstacle to both accomplishing goals and living a fulfilling life. You know, it doesn't really matter how old you are as long as you're able to do the things that you need to do because Star Trek do uh, in a total contrast to the motion picture, which I certainly have a lot of affection for, but it's one of those movies that helps me to see. And it really kind of flies in the face of conventional wisdom that you need to have a lead and you need to have a full cast with young, vibrant, beautiful people. And the whole movie was oriented around the idea that Jim Kirk feels like he's getting older and he feels that his advancing in age is taking away from his efficacy. 
even though you have Spock in the middle of the movie telling him it was a mistake for you to accept promotion because your first best destiny is the command of a starship. And he didn't say that he couldn't still command a starship. He said that that is what he is destined to be. doesn't matter how old he is. And I kind of love, even though I despise Star Trek Generations for a lot of different reasons, that's a (laughs) lesson that Kirk takes the opportunity to teach Captain Picard much later. Uh, So that's, you know, they made that joke in the Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship. Because while you're there, you can make a difference. And honestly, like that exchange alone is why I can never completely hate that movie. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I, (laughs) but I mean, I love that Star Trek as a franchise, at least before is something that can, it, it very easily through throughout its history shows that you can have all different kinds of protagonists doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what gender they are, doesn't matter how old they are. And Star Trek II really was the thing that made me comfortable from an early age with the idea of becoming an old man someday. <laughs> if that makes sense. Nice. No, it absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. You should be more chill about your gray hair then. You're right. I should be. Yeah. I should be. It, it uh, well, full disclosure, my dad had a white streak in his hair like Reed Richards on steroids when he was 16. And oh, wow. Oh, wow. that's starting to creep into my hairline. And yeah, you're right. I'm probably too critical. You should be thankful for the extra 14 years <laughs> of dark <laughs> hair that you've enough. got. You're a little little older than 16, Chris. So. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Better to be a silver fox than a bald eagle. Hey, well, there you go. There you go. I... I uh, uh tangent time i um i didn't start going gray until i was 38 wow 37 or 38 when i you know when i first noticed uh grays in my beard i still don't have many um i i blame them on my partner um they're not (laughs) mine naturally uh but even even i started to freak out like oh wait a minute hey that's that you know like that means i can't excuse myself from being you know saying i'm younger than i am or something like that but it's all nonsense Hmm. um but uh yeah so i i think i'm gonna i may become zaki a silver fox and a bald eagle at some point you know we'll we'll see how that works well you well if picard can baldly go (laughs) and so consistent there you go there you go i like it i like it and you know and we're back to picard (laughs) all right well that's what i have for my episode chris so do you want to take back over the podcast i mean if you're willing to hand it off to me then sure i will allow it i've actually really enjoyed stepping aside so i'm gonna love over the next couple of episodes where i get to kind of sit back and let you guys take the reins because it's it's fun it's fun because Paul Herman is apparently working on a podcast that I'm just going to be a co-host panelist for, but he's dragging his feet. So any chance I get to sort of sit in that role, does Paul listen to this? Yeah. No, (laughs) he's not a star Trek fan. I'll I'll tell him that I mentioned him. He maybe he'll listen to it, but he'll probably not. We are adding him right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still trying to turn him into a star Trek fan. He's so obstinate about it, but, uh, Oh, very well done. Thank you, Rachel. You're welcome. Chris. I hope I hope you had a good time. 
it was acceptable. All right. Well, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. You heard it here first, guys. So Discovery I, debrief is acceptable. So hey, I've 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 got a I've got a serious question about this episode that we that we haven't broached. Yes. For a second. Uh Rachel, uh I will start with you. Um, but first I, I will I'll ask it of everyone, but Rachel, you will be able to answer first. Was anyone creeped out or um did anyone raise an eyebrow at uh, Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> the adult, uh, yeah. Stewart, having yeah. a romantic dalliance with with the the much much younger um, his his good friend? I forgot what her name was. Marta Batanides. Yeah. 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 Um, you know I. I'd seen this episode many times and I never really thought of it until the podcast that I listened to called the greatest generation, which is like a comedy podcast about TNG mentioned that it was super creepy and it was super creepy that the actress who like played her was, she's actually like really young and that she had these like romantic scenes with Patrick Stewart, who was like 30 years older than her. And now she's married to a 65 year old. Oh, well, (laughs) no, I have no idea. I think that, right? (laughs) (laughs) So yes, after it was pointed out, I did find it creepy, but, Chris, uh, what what did what did you think of that? Uh, I mean, you. I think the creepiness might just come from on the set because you know within the story, Q explains that he appears younger right. to everybody. But yeah, I mean, you you take that part out of it. The reality of the situation is that you had an old man uh, making out with a much 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 younger woman. Uh, yeah, it's a little creepy, but. At least it's Patrick Stewart. I mean, not that that completely dismisses it or uh, excuses it, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure that they made clear to her what the job entailed. At least I certainly hope they did. Uh, hey, by but, the way, you're going to have to kiss Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> hey, who knows? Maybe she was really into the idea. Maybe. Hopefully hopefully she was. But yeah, I mean, I can, I can absolutely see that there is a little bit of a creep factor in there. Sure. Right. Zachy, uh, were you were you creeped out? It's a little creepy, you know. You just gotta. <laughs> I mean, it is. You just yeah. I don't know how they like what the workaround would have been, right. you know. Uh, since we since they did like the quantum leap thing right. where we're seeing old Picard, it's like other than other than just not having them, like not showing them kiss, I guess, or you know, because it it does the thing where they like kiss and then it fades out or right. something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe just maybe just don't show that, you know, show them <laughs> going in for going, the kiss. going in for the kiss and then like <laughs> something. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's in for a penny and for a pound. Right, right, You're kind of right. stuck, you know. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, at least the uh at least the scene where he wakes up in the morning, she wasn't there. Instead, there was there, you yeah. go. there was that would have been yeah. Yeah. Right. Instead, it was cute. Right. Closer in age. Actually, yeah, I, interestingly, like yeah. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers they mm-hmm. never kissed on screen. Really? Yeah, they always like just lean into it. Right. So it can Haze be done. Thing? No, it was, it was something about like they one of them didn't want to kiss on screen. Right. No. They only kissed okay. off screen, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so it was it was definitely something for me. You know, again, as as I've already said several times, that this was this was if it wasn't my first time watching it, it felt like it was my first time watching it. And mm-hmm. while I was fully engaged and I fully, you know, I was fully immersed within the, within the episode, that moment um, where I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, oh, Picard's about to change his stars. And, you know, obviously he had this will they, won't they relationship with his friend for, you know, for that, for that time. And that was, you know, potentially the one that got away like oh he's actually going to to change that but then i was like oh man wait a minute that's patrick stewart that woman's like she's like 20 you know like what's <laughs> what's going on here but and then you know i was like ah eh, it's it's patrick stewart so like yeah, yeah but but it was it was still definitely an eyebrow raised moment for me and the and the only thing that i think would have changed that is is if they had decided that uh, they would have they would have continued to use the actor that was young Picard for throughout the entire episode mm-hmm. instead of just in moments where he was being murdered or or at least impaled, um, but that would have I think that would have greatly impacted the resonance of the emotional resonance of the entire episode. Sure. Yeah, I think that that point is well taken. Yeah. Uh, well, one one last thing that I wanted to bring in, if that's okay, Rachel. That's fine. I've already seated the podcast back. <laughs> well, I'm just making sure. Um, a few years ago, I recorded what was what was at the time a pilot for a new podcast with a very good friend of mine who was one of my very first podcasting colleagues, a brilliant man from Australia named Bradley Lang who was on the Modern Myth Media podcast with me for a number of years. And one of the the subjects was going to be uh, influential media for us. Uh, I chose this episode. Brad chose uh, the novelization of Batman No Man's Land by Greg Rucka. And we we both just kind of said what each work brings. So we also had the opportunity to comment on each other's work. And Brad's perspective to this day, is one of the most unique ones I've encountered uh, in regards to tapestry because his basic position, if I had to kind of try and boil it down, is that it was very American. (laughs) And what he meant by that was, I'm paraphrasing our conversation because I can't remember the specifics, of course, but he basically said, look, he changed the course of his life. He had a real heart beating in his chest. He still had a job on the Federation flagship. Why wasn't that enough for him? It was it, it was overridingly American to him that the episode communicated that having that job and having a functional place within the quote unquote society of the crew of the Enterprise was not enough. And of course, I tried to communicate to him, well, Jean-Luc Picard has never settled. And he's like, well, it's, why is it settling? You know, it, 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 he he was very firm in his position that the Americanness of tapestry was not necessarily a universal constant across global culture. What wow. do you guys make of that? I 
I like that perspective because I thought of it watching the episode. Uh-huh. I've thought of it before I've watched it and thought like, well, his like the crappy Picard, like his life is my life. <laughs> like I just like do experiments and then tell people about them. <laughs> and like, I don't know. But I think that the thing that was that you have to think about is that the Jean-Luc Picard, that wasn't enough for him. Mm-hmm. The, like the one that is you know doing the viewing in whose frame of reference we are in right that wasn't enough for him it was not the trajectory of the life that he knew yeah and so it's not necessarily that his that life was inferior it's just that if that one thing hadn't happened he would be a totally different person with different desires and Mm -hmm. wants and he would never have even wanted the things that he is is Mm -hmm. crazy for. So um, like, I don't, I don't think that it's like really shitting on (laughs) being just a scientist, uh, but maybe that's just wishful thinking on my, (laughs) my part. But I, because like, I'm fine just doing experiments and telling people about them. That's, yeah. you know, like that's my ultimate, that's, that's my captain's chair. Yeah. <laughs> but um, like, I think it's, it's more like the, the higher concept that the, the things that maybe you regret are the things that have actually made you who you are and you would be different. Right. That, that's the, like the higher concept. Sure. I, I think the value judgments are, you know, coming from the frame of reference of Jean-Luc Picard, mm-hmm. of captain of the Starship Enterprise. Yeah, sure. Zachy? Uh, uh, I think that it's it's the loss, right? It's it's uh, kind of echoing what Rachel said. I mean, the, the Picard who's seeing where he's ended up, he, he has the ability to compare where he was right mm-hmm. so i mean it it's not a like i I've, yeah sure you're on the federation flagship and you're you're doing stuff yeah but but you were the captain you know what yeah. i mean like how do you reconcile what you are with what you could have been it's, it's like getting a window into the alternate reality where you are either you have a much higher station or a much lower station mm-hmm. right and knowing that that exists wouldn't couldn't help but alter your perspective of who you are at this moment sure you'll either value more who you are or you'll try aspire for more. But either way, I mean, getting a window into that. So now, uh, you know, again, it's, it's in, in, in the Star Trek universe, there's a difference between being, uh, you know, Ensign Cito and being Captain Picard. Yeah. Well, and that was, that right? was now, part of it too, is that he was a neophyte. Uh, he, he, I think he, he characterizes himself as a, a general fan at best. Uh, Sure. Not that that necessarily justifies the position. I'll have to take up the audio, but I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I, I, I think you said it. I mean, it's, it's, it's the fact that he has the knowledge mm-hmm. of who he was, right. right? And so, how do you, how do you say, oh, I, I got what I wanted in the past, but now look where I am. It's not, you know, he's in a dead end. You mm-hmm. know, he's in a career dead end. He's like late forties, and he's a. Uh, you know, he's being ordered around by, by, by Riker and Worf and right. stuff, you know? Yeah. And Jordy. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Jordy well, should well. have been fired by now for what he did with Leah Braun. <laughs> 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 
Oh, oh, we love. We remember Lavar Burton might be listening to this show. Maybe yeah. we love Maybe. you. We, we love you, Lavar. I was Burton. just talking about I, how no, great Lavar Burton. Yes, I know. It's not I, his I, fault I they wrote it like that. No, I know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And of course, we have Cicero to thank for that possibility. But Cicero, what do you think about that? Well, I, I mean, I think Zachy said it well. It's it's the butterfly effect, right? And and you know, if you are if you are within, if you are in the uh, Doc Brown, you know, timeline shifting now, if we've got the line and where it deviates, if you're already on that line, it's okay. But if you were aware of the other line, the other alternate, you know, that other reality, and now you're hmm. thrust into this other, this new reality, uh, and while you may have gotten what you wanted in the past, the fact that things are so dramatically different for you in the present is not something that you're it's it's easy to, to uh with which to reconcile. Sure. Um and, and you know, we didn't get a a long enough and and uh big enough snapshot of what his new reality as uh, was he an ensign or was he Lieutenant Junior like a Lieutenant. Yeah, junior lieutenant, yeah. right. Um, you know, the fact that he is uh, uh, approaching his twilight in his career and that's where he got uh, junior lieutenant. That just isn't good enough for who John Luke Picard is. And, you know, fundamentally still in his body, he knew that he was destined for command and not only that he was destined for command, but that he was good at it. Yeah. Um, and and. So him being a junior lieutenant um, was was never going to be good enough for him. It wasn't it wasn't ever going to satisfy him. Um, we don't know if uh, this relationship that he had with his with his friend. Uh, what was her name? Uh, Ensign Marta Badanitas. Yeah, Badanitas, uh, you know, uh, who, by the way, was 35 years his junior. Um <laughs> you know, the actor. Um, but, uh, but it's like, we don't know if, if that bore fruit, um, you Mm. know, uh, both literally and figuratively. Uh, so we don't know if, you know, if maybe in his quarters, uh, or maybe she was serving on the enterprise somewhere. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, and they had a relationship and maybe that would have changed things for him. We, We don't know that stuff, but what we do know is that a fundamental, part of how he defines himself in the present day is as captain yes the fact that that was not who he was and the fact that he wasn't even close to being that was enough for him to say wait a minute maybe i didn't maybe i didn't make a mistake by being a a brash asshole as a as a (laughs) as a youth um you know maybe Maybe that's who I needed to be in order to become the person that I that I was before I got shot uh, in the chest. Right. And, uh, you know, kind of again, kind of like and, and, you know, I'll I'll talk about myself personally. Um, There are are things about myself as as a youth um, that I look back at and say, man, these this was a fundamental fork in the road for me. Mm-hmm. And at times I sit back and I think, oh, man, what how different my life would have been if I had chosen this thing 
Um, if I had decided to go to this school and study this thing like I had planned on doing, as opposed to going to this school and studying this other thing, um, like I wound up actually doing. Mm -hmm. And as I, you know, I look at that, it, it makes you think about what you wouldn't get if you, you know, if you had not taken the path that you currently take and the thing that, that I realized that I wouldn't have is my children. Sure. And, and, you know, immediately and, and, you know, as, as Picard is defined, has defined himself as a captain, I have defined myself as a father, mm-hmm. like before I am anything else. And the, you know, the, the, the accomplishments that I am most proud of is the fact that I have two sons that can look at me and call me dad and, and regrets I may have, but they are not. And I would not change a thing about my life if it meant that I wouldn't have them in it. Um, So I, I think that's what, that's what Picard was able to see as a result of going to the, his new altered timeline, you know, his altered reality mm-hmm. uh, and realize that that's, it's not, it's not worth it. The love of an old friend was not worth losing what defined him as, as a human, what he was most proud of. Beautifully said. I think that if loser Picard has kids, it like fundamentally changes the episode <laughs> like right, 100% right. because Absolutely. that's like, Absolutely. like if you're not the starship captain, but you're like personally fulfilled. Well, and we know right. that that's something that does weigh upon. Him, yeah. Right? Yeah. That would be like a crazy different. Yeah. Right. Sort of the, thing. Then, and then, I mean, we, you know, to some extent, uh, generations gives us that, yeah. you know, the, who is Picard if he has a family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, you know, I'll I should dig up the audio of that of that conversation I had with Brad because I'm sure that I came short in actually representing his full opinion, and it's never been released before. And I was actually pretty proud of that conversation. So maybe Discovery debrief, maybe like a point one episode would be the correct venue for at least that discussion. I'll have to talk yeah. to Brad about that. Because it's fun, and I think that our listeners might enjoy it quite a bit, especially because Brad is brilliant. He's not regularly podcasting anymore, which is a loss for podcasting in general. So uh, any chance that I might have to inject him a little bit more, I will most likely take. Well, um, so that's going to wind down our discussion for Tapestry. Again, thank you to Rachel for leading the discussion. Uh, But we do have another episode to talk about whenever we reconvene because our schedules are crazy. Um, so Zachy, yes, sir. your episode is up next. So if you could first guide us through the thought process that led you to ultimately settling on your choice and clue us in on what that choice was. Uh, well, th- there wasn't much process to it, to be honest. Uh, you know, you said name your favorite episode and as, uh, quickly as it takes uh, for a thought to form, I said the visitor, uh, <laughs> because yes. because I have adored this episode from the moment that it aired. You know, uh, I've been able to view it through the prism of a son reflecting on his father, and now a father reflecting on his children. Um, it's just beautiful. It really is. It every single time I watch it, and I've seen it. Uh, 
countless times. I, I cry at the end of it. Yeah, every you're single make me time. Cry right now, just describing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's. There's a lot of reasons that it uh, uh, it works, and I think I think one of them is is that you know the the love between a parent and a child is not something that we really see expounded upon in the same way of uh, of romantic love. You know, right. mm-hmm. and and um, what would a parent do for their child, and vice versa, right? we th- we see that reflected in this and then and then there's an added level of poignancy for me uh in that it's it's about Jake Cisco dealing dealing with actually let me reverse that it's about Ben Cisco becoming the one thing he would never ever want to be and that's an absentee father mm-hmm. yeah and the weight of that and and carrying the burden of i almost feel like i'm ta- tapping into our whatever the conversation will be that we have but i mean imagine that you know you 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 carry the burden of uh, everything that that your child is missing out on because of because of their obsession with you you know it, uh, i was talking yeah. to my wife recently and i was talking about how you know every parent has two fears and you know, sister, I'm sure you can relate right. to this, right? One, your one fear is what if something happens to them, right? Right. But number two is what if something happens to me yes. before they're ready? Yes. Right. Yes. And you know, uh, that's what this is. That's what this is, right? It's it's Jake at the moment when he needs his father the most. Uh, he loses him, and who does he become? And and you know, you, you carry that burden with you. You right. know, uh, uh, it's it's just it's a it's a beautiful. Uh, uh, really transcendent episode that Star Trek has never done anything quite like. Yeah. Um, you know, there are episodes that do the like, oh, alternate timeline that we got to fix and then we wipe it out and whatever. But based around this idea, this central conceit, and and I think it's a it's a uniquely Deep Space Nine episode. And I think you know, whenever people say, oh, why do you like Deep Space Nine so much? Because that's my favorite. Uh, show after the the original and i say watch the visitor yeah and you'll understand why yeah you know One, wonderfully said yeah it's very much a uh, a demo worthy episode to anybody who doubts the greatness of deep space nine absolutely well definitely a lot to look forward to when we do reconvene to talk about star trek deep space nine's the visitor in uh in episode 26 of discovery debrief but as for right now That is going to do it for episode 25 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. So please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss Zaki's choice in our continuing series of Debrief's favorite episodes. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends.